Let me pray, and then I'll read that, and then we'll see what it says and what it means. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for everything that it reveals about who you are, about who we are, and how we must look to you. We do depend upon you for all things. We are insufficient. We are infallible. We are fallible. We are not perfect. We need your help, especially now as we open up your holy word, as it exposes who we are and reveals more of who you are to us. We ask that by the power of your spirit, you would grant us to understand what it says, what it means, and how it applies to our lives. We pray that as we do look into your word now, that you would sanctify us by your word, that you would grow us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ, that you would compel us to love Christ more and to see more of him and to live our lives fully in obedience to him. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same, just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Titled this message, The Centrality of the Risen Christ. The Centrality of the Risen Christ. We know that this is a part two, volume number two in Luke's, Luke's work. So in the gospel, we know that Christ makes himself known. In the gospels, Christ makes himself known. And in Acts, the apostles and the church are to make Christ known. Now that Christ has ascended to the right hand of the Father, his work still continues through his people whom he is saving day by day. Acts continues where the gospel according to Luke leaves off. And so we cannot forget about what comes before, which is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can't divorce that from the establishment and the purpose for which we exist as the people of God, his church. Because the church exists because of what Christ has done. And the church exists to proclaim what Christ has done. So what we see in the opening of Acts and throughout Acts is that it's not particularly all about the church. Although the church has a specific role and purpose in God's plan, but that it is and continues to be 
all about Christ. And that informs who we are and why we do what we do and who we do it for. It's all about Christ. Acts is about the acts of the risen Lord Jesus and the outworking of the sovereign plan of God by the ministry of the Holy Spirit through God's people. After his ascension, Jesus is continuing to work through the lives of the apostles by his spirit. He's carrying on his work on earth through these chosen apostles who are to be his witnesses and through us today as his church. The entire plan of God moves to Christ and the gospel. The entire plan of God from the very beginning moves to Christ and the gospel. That is central to the establishment of the future kingdom of God and the restoration of all things which is a primary theme of scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It's what we look forward to, the kingdom of God in its fullness, without sin, without death. We have creation in the beginning. We have the fall. We have a promise given in Genesis 3.15. We have the promised Messiah coming. We have Christ and salvation being accomplished. And then we look forward to the restoration History is moving in that direction. Christ is coming back, and as long as we long for his return and the fullness of his coming kingdom, we have a task. We have a task to live out orders from our Lord and King to take up on his behalf because of what he has accomplished on the cross through his death and his resurrection. In the Gospels, we learn that it was necessary for the Son of Man to die and to be resurrected because the sin problem must be dealt with And then things can begin to be made right and move towards restoration, towards a new creation. And in the opening two chapters of Acts, this global purpose of God is laid out for us in linking together his entire plan of redemption that centers upon the risen Christ. We see that in the first part of chapter 1, and then we will see in the second part of chapter 1 that connects it to Israel. And in chapter 2, it connects to the world. In day of Pentecost, it goes out. There are a series of connections that shape the church and the fundamental identity of the church, and Luke will help us to see why the church is so significant and critical, namely that the church is the only institution, an instrument of God, an authority of hope in this world. We must know what the church is and what the church does. The Gospels prepare and teach us what that is. It even looks forward to the establishment of the church and how the church is to function in certain ways. We learn that Christ will build his church in Matthew 16, that he prescribed church discipline in Matthew 18 to maintain unity, purity, and love, and for that to be lived out among his people. We have Christ foretelling of his death and resurrection and ascension, that he's going to prepare a place and come back, that he will send his Holy Spirit for them and for them not to fear as he instructs them about suffering and persecution that will come as a natural consequence of being a faithful witness. And Acts gives a historical record of what that looks like and what of what we are to continue to do as well. After the crucifixion and resurrection, and before the ascension of Christ, the disciples were told to wait for the Holy Spirit. Told to wait for the Holy Spirit to empower them to take and spread to go and proclaim the gospel message to the end of the earth. And all four gospels end with some variation of this great commission. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, which is the one we're most familiar with, says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, 
and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, it says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. In Luke chapter 24, verses 45 to 47, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. In John chapter 20, verse 21, So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And we see this in Jesus' last words here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 as well. You will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. This was God's plan from the beginning. All of redemptive history moves to Christ and the gospel and the great commission, the proclamation of what he has done. And the church has the privileged task of going and proclaiming it. The only message that saves because of what Christ has done that we believe. And if we truly believe it, that it does make us well with the Lord, that we have a hope in a future with him, then we will go and proclaim it to the ends of the earth and to those in our context. In these verses, Luke points us back to what Christ has done and points us forward to his return so that we would know and focus on what we are to do as Christ continues to work through us by the Holy Spirit during this time in God's sovereign plan. Again, Luke points us back to what Christ has done and he points us forward to his return so that we would know and focus on what we are to do as Christ continues to work through us by the Holy Spirit during this time in God's sovereign plan. The church has a crucial role and purpose, and we need to be fixed on what that is as we are fixed upon our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we'll see three foundational convictions we must have if we are to be faithful witnesses. Three foundational convictions we must have if we are to be faithful witnesses for Christ. Number one, in verses one through five, we'll see that we need to know Jesus and his word. We need to know Jesus and his word. Acts 1, 1 through 5 again. The first account I composed, Theophilus, but all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Luke begins by pointing back to his account of the gospel concerning all that Jesus began to do and teach. He makes mention of that being the first account he composed, and so Acts is the second account of a larger work. So what do we learn about the first account? What do we learn about the gospel of Luke? The first account is about Jesus as the one who changes human history. The first account is about Jesus as the one who changes human history. It sets up Jesus as the son of man, the second and true and better Adam, 
as indicated in Luke 3 in the genealogy, because he is the one who redeems humanity and will make it new again. In Luke 24, verses 50 to 53, the very last verses of his gospel, he writes, and he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Jesus has come and a people who were under a curse because of Adam are now praising and blessing God because of what God has done through Christ. Jesus has come and has transformed human history and has brought an eternal hope that is to be carried on and proclaimed by the church in this present age, going back to the day of Pentecost until his return. There's not only a connection between the gospel of Luke and Acts, but there's also a connection of the past to the present to the future. The church continues the redemptive plan of God. The church continues the redemptive plan of God that Christ has already accomplished. Do we understand the time that we are living in? Do we understand the time that we are living in, what is happening now because of who has come and because of what he has accomplished and how that gives perspective and purpose to the mission of the church? We are saved and we are here for a reason. The church is in the time of great fulfillment. The window of opportunity for the application of redemption and transformation through the proclamation of the gospel has begun. Acts is a continuation of Jesus' work to change history, to turn everything around, to reverse the curse of the fall. Therefore, the church is an institution that is a history-making and history-changing institution in the plan of God. Jesus came into the world and changed it. And he leaves the world and working through the apostles and now the church, he continues to change it. This present age is centered around Jesus and the proclamation of what he has done. Luke says that the first account, which was written to most excellent Theophilus, a term only used of Roman governors, and so he was most likely a Roman official, perhaps even a a patron who supported Luke financially to be able to collect all these resources and fund his travels to, to have time to write this. And Luke writes to him so that he may know the exact truth about the things he had been taught. Luke chapter 1 verse 4 tells us that about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven. Acts chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. And notice that it says all that Jesus began to do and teach. Began to do and teach, which implies that he will continue to do it. it it's meant to point forward. It's not finished And so Acts is about what Jesus continues to do and teach through his apostles during that time and through the establishment of the church to today. So if we are to be significant, we have to be centered around Jesus and his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. Verse 2 says that he was taken up to heaven, which demonstrates his lordship as he sits at the Father's right hand, that he is Lord of all. But what did he do before that? By the Holy Spirit, he gave orders. He gave orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. So these apostles are supposed to know what to do, for that is the reason he chose them. This tells us that what Jesus began to do and teach is supposed to continue. So what is the key thing 
that the apostles need to know? What do they need to know? What is to be on their minds? Look at verse 3. To these, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. They need to know that Jesus is alive. They need to know that Jesus is alive, that he is resurrected, he has conquered sin, he's conquered death and Satan, and that there is a future hope. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 17 says, Apostle Paul writes, Now if Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. The resurrection, here presenting himself alive after his suffering, implies death. And you can't have life eternal and a true resurrected life without an atoning, forgiven death through Christ in which he conquers and is now risen and alive. Luke 24, verses 1 to 3 says, in talking about the resurrection of Christ, it says, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Why does Luke mention that it was the first day of the week? And also, why does he mention that it's at early dawn? Because it ties back to Genesis, to creation and the first day and to the Sabbath rest and to the fall and how everything from that point moves forward to Christ in the gospel in fulfillment of the promise given in Genesis 3.15. And the resurrection of Christ in the Lord's day points to the beginning of a new humanity, a new creation. And this is the only time the title Lord Jesus in Luke 24, verse 3, is used in the synoptic gospels. And it's tied to the resurrection. It's tied to his resurrection. He is Lord. He's alive. He's a living Savior, which means there is a living hope and that everything will be made alive and made new through him. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8 says, For I delivered you to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also, referring to the apostle Paul. In John chapter 20, says he appeared and was able to be touched. In John chapter 21, says that he ate with his disciples. And this happened over a period of 40 days where Jesus made it known that he was alive and he was speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Jesus presented himself alive and that word, that word present refers to something that demands a verdict or a conviction. It demands a verdict or a conviction. And it was by many convincing proofs which refers to irrefutable evidence or that which causes something to be known in a decisive manner. What do we need to know and what needs to be on our minds is that Christ is 
alive. He's resurrected and he is coming back. And so the kingdom of God is at hand. The power of the resurrection is to be the core conviction of the church, which is centered around Jesus and what he has done and accomplished. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about the resurrection and understanding our future hope and how that compels us to proclaim that hope as we are still here on earth, as those who have the right perspective on this present time. We know what's ahead. We, we're looking forward to that. Though we're groaning because we're suffering in this world, even though we're called to suffer for Christ, but there's many things in the curse of sin in this fallen world that, that bring us down, discourage us, cause us to lose faith at times. But we know, ultimately, what is ahead for us. And so we are here saved to proclaim this message of hope that we ourselves are looking forward to, to a world that does not know that hope. And in Second Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 15, it says, For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, referring to believers, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Colossians 1.18 states that Christ is the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything as the preeminent and supreme Lord of all. And this is stated in direct connection with Christ being head of the church and what the church is to do. Jesus appeared to them over a period of 40 days. That is pointed out because Pentecost is coming up, which is 50 days after Passover. So that now leaves a period of 10 days where the apostles are to wait for the the promised Holy Spirit and are to remain in Jerusalem. So why did Jesus intentionally use this period of 40 days to speak to the apostles about the things concerning the kingdom of God? Why not anything else? Why the kingdom of God? Because the kingdom of God is tied to his second coming. God's kingdom is a central concern in the book of Acts. Acts opens with mention of it in verse 3, and Acts ends on that same note in chapter 28, verses 30 to 31, where it says, And he stayed, referring Paul, two full years in his own rented quarters, and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. In fact, God's kingdom plan, in which Jesus is at the center of, goes all the way back to Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, 26 to 28, an earthly kingdom mandate is given. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the, the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. There's an earthly kingdom mandate given in Genesis 1. In Psalm 8, verses 4 through 6, the mandate is reaffirmed. In Hebrews 2, verses 5 through 8, it's reaffirmed again because it's not fulfilled yet. It's moving in that direction. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 28 states that Jesus is the one who fulfills the kingdom mandate on behalf of man. And this points to the millennium and to the eternal state when the kingdom of God is fully established and Jesus is ruling and reigning upon the Davidic throne along with those who are his. 
We look forward to that establishment and fullness of the kingdom of God to come. And so Jesus is teaching them over this 40-day period, speaking the things concerning the kingdom of God that spans back to his plan from the very beginning. This is what their minds are to be fixed on. This kingdom theme links to Revelation, the end as well. Verse Chapter 5, verse 10. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to, our, to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. To Revelation 2, verse 26. He who overcomes, and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Revelation 22, verse 5 talking about the eternal state where believers will reign forever and ever with Jesus. The kingdom of God spans from Genesis to Revelation. It's centered upon Christ and the gospel that must be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. So you have even John the Baptist coming as a forerunner of Jesus, and he proclaims, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus comes on the scene and he declares, repent and believe in the gospel for the kingdom of God is at hand. You have the Sermon on the Mount where he talks about the kingdom of God. You have Jesus teaching his disciples to pray for the kingdom to come. You have the Apostle John teaching that you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom refers to the complete sovereignty and rule of God over all things, so that impacts and and, and influences everything, and therefore also every single person and all of creation. This is what Jesus wanted these apostles to know as they were given orders before he ascended to heaven. Jesus is alive, and the kingdom of God is at hand. There is hope, and there's also an urgency. There's hope, and there's also an urgency, as no one knows when Jesus will come back. And before he was taken up to heaven, verse 4 says, gathering them together, which could be translated as eating with them, another um, evidence and proof of his physical resurrected body, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Why are they commanded not to leave Jerusalem? And that's a really big question that you can spend hours discussing. The place where he was crucified and resurrected and ascended is in Jerusalem. And also there's a connection between Jerusalem and the kingdom of God and also with Israel. And it's also the place where Christ left off. So it's where they are to continue. And so we see the significance of this unity of continuity that spans from the Old Testament to the New Testament to today. And it's also connected to the significance of what happens when we get to chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost of why they are to remain in Jerusalem and launch their mission there. So the apostles are commanded to remain there and wait for the promised Holy Spirit. And in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, John the Baptist says, As for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie his sandals. I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So he was looking forward to a promise to be fulfilled that Jesus came and accomplished. In John 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever, that is, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. 
but you know him because he abides with you, and key phrase, and will be in you. The promise of the Father is Jesus' promise to send the Holy Spirit to indwell them, to be with them forever. It's to say that Jesus fulfilled promises. As John the Baptist looked forward, it's to say now that Jesus fulfilled promises, that what he did guarantees made by God the Father in the past. So wait in Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit, because you are the continuation of what I am doing on earth. And so what we see stated in verse 5 is that the plan of God is moving forward and that the kingdom of God is near because of what Christ has done and will continue to do through the apostles by the ministry of his Holy Spirit. And to be baptized with the Holy Spirit is to be cleansed from sin, to be identified with the resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to have his spirit dwell within you. It's all really to point to Jesus. It's all about him. Even the the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life is a constant testimony that Jesus won. Every time we, we turn in obedience to Christ is an evidence that Christ has won by his Spirit working within us. Every time we overcome sin because Christ has paid the price for sin and has overcome sin, it's a testimony that Jesus has won. Our entire life is a testimony of Christ's victory over the grave and sin. He's alive. Sin and death have been overcome and can be overcome. And if we are to be faithful witnesses, a foundational conviction we must have is that we know who Jesus is and know what his word teaches, what he did and what he taught. The second foundational conviction is that we must know what the task is. The second foundational conviction is that we must know what the task is and be focused on the task, verses 6 through 8. Luke writes, So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. The apostles are asking an informed question. They know that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is tied to the coming of the kingdom. They were anticipating it. And so they are wondering if now is the time. Ezekiel 36 and Joel chapter 2 connects the coming of the kingdom with the restoration of Israel, with the outpouring of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so they think that this is the time that the kingdom will be restored. And Jesus responds and says in verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Don't worry about that. Don't focus on that. Everything is going according to my fixed plan. I have chosen you and I have given you orders. Verse 8, you will, be, you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part, of, or remotest part of the earth. I want you to be focused on the task. Be my witnesses. Be my witnesses. Witness means to attest to certain realities and to convince others of those realities. And that is what the apostles are to do as eyewitnesses of the risen Christ. And that is what the church is to do as those who are identified with Jesus those who tell the truth about Jesus. We are a living testimony 
and testifiers about Jesus. It's all about him, and it's all through him, and it's all to him. This makes it clear also that the kingdom is future. The kingdom is future. It's tied to when Jesus returns. And so Luke is a premillennialist. Jesus Jesus's answer was not that the kingdom was currently restored to Israel, but rather that they were not to know when this would occur. In Acts chapter 3 verse 20 to 21, Peter links the restoration of all things with the future second coming of Christ. And the word used for restoration there is the same word used for restoring used in Acts chapter 1 verse 6, signifying that the restoration of the kingdom of Israel is a literal future reality. So whatever was not fulfilled in Jesus' first coming or was only partially fulfilled will be fully fulfilled in events following Jesus' second coming. The focus for this present age is that we are to be witnesses. And we have received power for this task. The word power carries the idea of capability. So it refers to not just power, but to acts of power that we are to utilize and leverage because the gospel is to spread to the ends of the earth as part of God's plan. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6 says, He says, Is it too small a thing that you, referring to the suffering servant, should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel? I will also make you a light to the, of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This is the Messiah's mission. And here Jesus is saying, testify about me because of what I have done so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth and all of the families of the earth be blessed. Genesis 12, verse 3. And the last verse of Acts ends with Paul imprisoned in Rome as he is preaching the kingdom of God, teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. It has an open ending as the work is not yet done but is to continue on through the church. That's why we have the epistles written to churches and reach to the end of the earth. And we can have absolute confidence in the gospel because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself, Jesus himself was anointed with the Spirit as God's chosen servant. And now he promises that his apostles and disciples will be empowered by the same Spirit so that he can continue his work through them. The same spirit powerfully working in Jesus' ministry now empowers his witnesses. The spirit was sent by Jesus to be the means through which he would continue to do and teach. It's all about Jesus. He's given us a great commission, but he is with us. He is empowering us. He is using us. He is making it clear that the church has a critical purpose and a place in God's plan. Are we focused on the task? Is it a priority? Do our lives revolve around it? Again, it, it doesn't matter where you are. That's where you are to be a faithful witness. You don't need to go across the country to some unknown tribe that has never heard the gospel. God will use and call people for that specific purpose. But Ultimately, everyone is to be faithful, a faithful witness wherever they are. God has us here with our families, with our neighbors, with our friends, with our co-workers, with our classmates. Be a faithful witness where God has you. We are to be faithful witnesses. A foundational conviction must 
we must have is that we know who Jesus is, namely that he's risen and that there's great hope tied to his resurrection. And know his word, the gospel is what he taught, what he did about the kingdom of God. And we know the task, what that task is, and that we're focused on that task. And lastly, if we are to be faithful witnesses, we need to know, we need to be assured of his promises. We need to be assured of his promises, verses 9 through 11. Luke writes, And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who was who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Jesus is leaving, but he is coming back, and we don't know when. We need to be assured of this promise so that we do not deviate from the king's orders. The ascension of Christ gives us hope of his return to set up his kingdom and move towards the restoration of all things Luke mentions the ascension repeatedly in this chapter. He did in verse 2, here again in verse 9. He'll mention it again in verse 22. This is to highlight Christ's rule and authority and the fact that he is alive, that he is resurrected, that he is Lord over all things. And therefore, his last words, verse 8, have great authority for this present age. It's also to show that the gospel is a message of hope that is to be proclaimed to all the world. Verse 9 says that a cloud received him out of their sight, and then two men in white clothing, these supernatural beings, these angels, suddenly appeared and stood beside them as they were looking into the sky, and they assure the apostles and comfort them that Jesus will come back in the same way that he was taken up into heaven and that the kingdom for Israel will come and that Jesus is the king. He was on, Mount, he was on the Mount of Olives. He was taken up in a cloud, you will come back in a cloud and come back to the Mount of Olives the same way. Zechariah 14, verses 4 and 5 says, In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. You will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel, Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord, my God, will come, and all the holy ones with him. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, says, I kept looking into the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Supernatural beings are also present at the resurrection. In Luke chapter 24, verses 4 to 7, as the women came to the tomb, they found the stone rolled away. When they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it says, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember 
how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. Supernatural beings are present both at the resurrection and at the ascension of Christ. This is to highlight and authenticate that this is God's plan and that we can be assured of his promises. No one knows when Christ will return, but we must live in eager expectation that it could be at any time. So we must be prepared. We must be ready and be faithful to the task we have been given. John 14, verse 12, a profound verse. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Because it's going to reach to the end of the earth. The gospel will spread and continue to spread according to the plan of God. And the kingdom of God will come and everything will be made right. There will be a new heavens and new earth in which we will dwell in perfect harmony with the Lord. So what do we learn? What are the foundational convictions we must have if we are to be faithful witnesses of Christ for his sake knowing the cost of what that looks like, the suffering that comes with it, but also the joy and the blessedness that we look forward to as well. We are not those without hope because he is risen. We are to know Christ. We are to be intimately integrated with everything that Christ has done and said and revealed about himself and has been recorded in the scriptures. And so are we, are you in daily communion with the resurrected Lord? And as you grow in your understanding and knowledge of the grace of Christ, not only will your life be transformed, but also your affections for the Lord. The love of Christ will grow your love for Christ and will compel you to make him known. We must spend time in communion with the risen Lord and know him and know what he has accomplished and not only know what that means for us, but to have a burden that others may know that as well. Know Christ, know his word. We also have to focus on the task. Focus on the task. We are to go and witness. We are to testify and proclaim the message and rest in the sovereignty of God. Are we faithful to this calling? Are we faithful to proclaim him where we are, where he has placed us, to be used as witnesses, as testifiers of him? Focus on the task. Third, depend on the Lord. Depend on the Lord and be assured of his promises. The power is in the message. And the power to proclaim the message is supplied and given by the Lord through his spirit. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. We have the message. We have the spirit. And so the power of God is at work through us. And so we exist to continue verse 8, to be witnesses, to be testifiers of his life, death, resurrection, and his return. Facing a task unfinished, we who rejoice to know thee, renew before thy throne the solemn pledge we owe thee to go and make thee known. So we go to all the world with kingdom hope unfurled because no other name has power to save but Jesus Christ, the Lord. Christ is our only hope 
in life and death, and so we proclaim him. Do we believe that? Do we believe that because he has died and he has risen and that he is coming back, do we believe that truth? If we do, we would understand what Christ has called us to do, to make that known on his behalf until he comes back to take us to be with him forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your your word. Thank you that you have accomplished redemption and salvation. You've called us, included us into your perfect plan that all those whom you have died for will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that your spirit will regenerate their hearts, that the gift of your grace will bring about repentance and faith in your son, Jesus Christ, that is fully accomplished and done. And now he has ascended to your right hand, demonstrating his lordship over all. And he has left us with the promised Holy Spirit to continue through us the ministry of bringing about the truth so that those who hear would come to the saving knowledge of your son because of what he has accomplished. Father, use us, help us to know the significance of your resurrection and the hope of your return. Help us to know the task that we are called to be faithful to. Help us to depend upon you, knowing that the power is in the message, the power is given to us by your spirit. Now help us to be obedient and faithful to the calling to which you've called us to. Father, I pray that you would use us where we are and to see the significance of the church in the grand plan of redemption that began from before the foundations of the world, to see your power and creation and your sovereignty over all things, to see the fall of mankind and the curse of this world, to see the promise that you have given, to see the fulfillment of that promise in the, your son coming upon the earth to take on human flesh, to live the life we could not live, to die the death that we deserve, to accomplish the forgiveness of sins, to satisfy your righteous wrath, to give us new life, and then to prepare and instruct us on how to live a life for you as you go to the Father and as you give us your spirit, what our lives should look like, what the church should be, what the church should do. Help us to see the church in light of that bigger plan, that it is leading to a greater future hope, the kingdom of God in its fullness, where we will see you like you are and be in perfect fellowship with one another as we worship you for an eternity. We pray these things in his name. Amen.